Thank you, Brother Moore. Wasn't that great singing? Hey, we appreciate you guys coming out tonight. You may be seated, guys. You guys sang great and great spirit starting out the meeting. Thanks for coming in the middle of the snowstorm, guys. Isn't it good? God, good to us. And snowstorm cleared up just in time. And the Lord answered my prayer. I didn't have to go plow people out. Um, I, that was the one thing I was hoping I didn't have to do today. And I am very thankful that you guys made it out and were able to be a part of the meeting. And uh, we are so excited about all the things God's going to do. And men, I want to encourage you a couple of things throughout the meeting. You got uh, one of these flyers on your way in. I want to draw your attention to just a few things. Um, men, throughout the meeting, we want to meet with God. And so if anything stands out to you in a message, I have found in meetings like this, the purpose we want to meet with God and something will stand out to you, write it down. Okay, that's what the purpose of all this is. It's not to manuscript the messages. It's just if something God speaks to you about, something stands out to you, write it down. Okay, you got a pen and you got paper, and uh, it'll help you later on. And I store these and keep these things, notes from meetings, and it helps me later on in life. Because you know what? The world doesn't have answers. Haven't we figured that out, guys? They don't have the answers. They've been trying out there. Jesus has the answers. That's why we're here. And I am so encouraged that you guys came out tonight. And I appreciate you each being here for the meeting. If you would, uh, go with me in your Bible for a moment to Psalms chapter 1. I want to share with you uh, some of the purpose. Thank you, Colby. You've been a blessing helping out. And men, uh, we are just excited about what God's going to do in our hearts in this meeting. And tonight, I want to challenge you as we begin the purpose of this meeting. God's definition of success. Really, um, I have a heart to see our community know God, love God, and walk with God. And I want, and man, it's okay throughout the meeting to say amen. And I want God to work in your churches and many pastors here. I want God to work in our area. We've been taking our men 13 hours to a meeting at the prayer events next weekend. The prayer events is happening. And uh, it's just hard for everybody to get down there. So we said, let's try to recreate the meeting here. And uh, this is the purpose for why we have the meeting. We want God to revive us. And the way he revives us is through a very simple process. And uh, the world tells you all these different things that can bring you success. But let's look at the word of God as we um, dive in this evening. Psalms 1, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So he's not somebody who's mocking those who are doing right. Don't we see a lot of that happening in this world? We live in a world where if you do right, you're mocked for it. No, the Bible says, blessed is the man that doesn't stand in that way, but his delight. Look at what he delights in. His delight is, would you read that phrase? In the law of the Lord, and in it says, in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's the desire of my heart. I want to meditate on God's word day and night. But men, I'm not there yet. I'm working on it. It helps if you read it. Amen? It helps if you read it. Amen? The Bible says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God's definition of success. You want to be a successful man. You want to have his blessing. You want to have a fresh touch from God. God says, here's, here's, the, here's the pattern for it. There's a plan and God has a plan for success. This meeting's all about us meeting with God. We came to get help. And regular, uh, successful leaders have regular encounters with God. Successful leaders have regular encounters with God. Man, if you want God to bless you and use you, you want to have something diff a different home than the world around us, you got to meet with God. 
That's what this meeting's about. We want to meet with God. Okay? The Bible says we're two or three together in my name, there am I in the midst. We came to meet with God. If you came to meet with God, would you say amen? amen. That's what we came here for. We came to meet with God. We came to hear his word. And God defines success. How do you know if you're succeeding as a man? Here's a few thoughts that will help us. First, we define success as men often by externals. We define it by externals. First uh, Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance nor on the height of his stature, but because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Where does God look? He says, I look on your heart. I look on your heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. Hey, that's why we don't have a dress code for the meeting, okay? I don't care what you wear. I want you to meet with God, amen? Uh, we came here to meet with God together. We want to meet with God. And as men, often we just define success by the externals. We consider ourselves successful. If we're above average, we compare ourselves to somebody else. We say, well, my marriage is better than theirs, okay? You compare yourself. If your savings is better than somebody else, you say, well, I'm better than them. You compare your savings. We compare our child rearing sometimes. We but David said, or jo- Jacob said, I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies. He realized he didn't deserve anything from God and he, what he was about to receive when God blessed him. Whatever you use to measure your self-worth is something God gave you. You good at something? God gave it to you. You're a good computer guy? God gave you that ability. Whatever you use, whatever I use to measure success and our self-worth is something God gave us anyways. So we ought to give him glory. Everything we have came from him. You don't ever see a U-Haul going behind a hearse. Everything we have came from God. And when we die, it ain't going with us. All right, so we define success by externals. Hey, don't covet what your neighbor has. They ain't taking it with them. And a lot of my neighbors have passed on in recent days. One of them is in the hospital right now. I mean, people are dealing with things. My friend, we never know how many more days we have, and we can't define success by the externals. We define success by externals, but let's look at what God does. God defines success by internal delights. We're going to build into this more tomorrow morning, but God defines success by internal delights. He says, but his delight is in in the stock market. No, no, no. But his delight is in his job. But his delight is in sports. No. His delight is in hunting. No, no. God says his delight is in the what? The law of the Lord. Lots of men know the Bible, but few delight in it. I said lots of men know the Bible, but few delight in it. Multitudes of men use biblical principles, but few rely exclusively on them. God is is not impressed by what we do. If we don't delight in him, he's coming for our hearts. He isn't impressed by flattery and men. Thank God he doesn't get depressed by your wife's opinion of you. Some of you guys are too hung up on that. Look, you need to focus on the Lord. He likes your hunting and your recreation, but he's jealous when it takes our heart. God defines success through external personal or sorry, eternal personal practices that become Eternal delights. God wants us to practice on the outside, reading the word. That's something you do. That's something your wife ought to see you doing. That's something your children ought to see you doing, reading the word. It's something you do that everybody can see that you delight in it. But it becomes something that then becomes an internal delight in your heart as you practice it. 
This meeting is all about us having a fresh encounter with God. We're going to take a moment right now to ask God to give us fresh delight for his word. Men, is that something you want? If that's something you want, would you say amen? amen? I want a fresh delight for his word. Let's take a moment right now. The piano's going to play. And let's just take a moment. And would you find a man beside you? And you might not be comfortable doing this, and that's okay. You can pray quietly yourself. But would you pray out loud with a man beside you? If you're comfortable doing that, find somebody beside you, somebody around you. And would you take a moment? Let's just take a moment to meet with God. And let's ask God to meet with us. Ask God to give us a fresh delight for his word. Would you find somebody around you? Would you take a moment to pray? If you're not comfortable doing that, just bow your head and pray on your own, okay? Um, let's take a moment. Lord, would you give me a fresh delight for your word? Let's pray, men. Just a moment to pray. We thank you for the privilege to be in this place tonight. We thank you for each of these men you brought out. Ask that you would meet with us in a special way. Give us a fresh touch from you. Lord, anoint and touch the speakers. And Lord, I pray that right now tonight, you would do something in our hearts that nobody can explain. And that we would say when we leave this room, it was good to have been in the house of God. Thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts. And together we believe you to work. And all God's people said, amen. Appreciate you men being out here this evening. I'm so glad we also have uh, Pastor Darren Persons here. And he had a heart attack a few weeks ago, and he still made it out for the meeting. And uh, would you lift your hand, Brother Darren Persons? Tomorrow morning he's going to speak. And men, uh, any of you all have a heart attack in the last few weeks? All right, you ain't got no excuses, okay? Um, he still came. I appreciate his spirit, amen. And uh, he's going to speak tomorrow morning. And we have Brother Harness, and he was the first to jump right in. And uh, these men, I appreciate their spirit. Brother Harness, come up and preach the word, what God's put on your heart. Men, would you, would you take time and just tune in? Focus. There's a Bible in front of you if you need one. Let's take time. And if the, during the message, if there's any questions you have, there's going to be a Q&A with the pastors tomorrow at 1 o'clock. So there's this blue card, and you can fill out questions anytime and turn those in by tomorrow by lunch. Go ahead, Brother. All right. Hey, welcome, gentlemen. It's great to meet each of you. 
Uh, tonight, there is a lot of books. There are a lot of books out on that little table there. Here's one, a little known history of the contribution of freedom of conscience and Pastor John Clark to the freedom of America. Take that. It's fascinating about the liberty that we have, so please take that if you would like it. Here's who are the Baptists. Some of you may be not familiar with Baptist doctrine, what Baptists believe. And so uh, take that and read it, and that's, that's, all these things are free for you. Here's one I wrote almost 20 years ago, Claiming New Territory. It's like a study through the Book of Numbers. And so uh, we want to give you some resources, some things that will encourage you in your walk. And then tomorrow, the session that uh, someone mentioned a moment ago is how to develop a Bible lesson. And I have a little book for everyone that's in that session tomorrow. So I hope that uh, one of those things or all of those things uh, would be an encouragement. Take some more. If I need to bring more back tomorrow, I'll do that as well. Uh, it's great to meet a lot of you for the first time, and some of you I've met in different places, and uh, we're blessed to be here. Pastor Rob is our family pastor. I'm looking forward to his message in a little bit as well. So uh, go ahead and find your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you for hosting this, and Pastor Dan, a great turnout of people volunteering and helping. So uh, well done. Keep it up. You still have a little bit more to do today and tomorrow, so uh, thank you for your good participation as a church. Meetings like this can be very important, important in the life of a church. Alone. Have you ever seen that television show, I think it's maybe Discovery or History, the, the show Alone, and they'll take some people and individuals, they'll take them out on an island. I think sometimes it's Vancouver Island, and they give them 10 or 15 items of their choice. The guy might have a machete, maybe a bow and arrow. He's got his backpack, a tent, maybe a flint to start a fire. Just a, a limited number of supplies. And they leave them on the island and see how long they can survive all by themselves. Have you ever seen that before? Okay, it's fascinating. Some of the guys are rather crude. You may, I'm not recommending it to you, but it is fascinating that these guys will go out and some of them will survive with no food, no rations, just their supplies for maybe 100 days. You, once you get past 100 days and, and, and they kind of weigh them and different things, but they're out there all by themselves. And it's fascinating to see how long they can survive. I would surmise that in our Christian life, if we were left on an island all by ourselves, or if we were just out in the middle of nowhere all by ourselves and totally isolated, that it would be rather difficult to fully live the Christian life that God has called us to live. Maybe for this contestant show, it's okay, but for the Christian life, being all alone, if you had that one-room uh, one cabin up in the mountains all alone, it would be nearly impossible to be the man that God's called you to be. Now, there are times in Scripture where God calls someone to uh, a time of isolation. Elijah at the brook Cherith. Jesus fasting 40 days in the wilderness. Moses communing with God 40 days on the mountain. And Paul even isolated himself for quite some time. But there are seasons where maybe that's where God's called you. But for the most part, for us as Christian men, we don't live in isolation. We live in a community with others. God's called men to serve. He's called men to make other disciples. He's called us to help out at church. And he's called us to propagate the gospel and to share the good news of Christ. Amen. And you can't do that by yourself in the middle of nowhere. 
So there are times for isolation, even getting alone with God. And there's examples of Christ, like the others that we've mentioned already. Most of life is with other people. An athlete cannot win a team sport, a game, by himself. You've seen it happen before. Maybe I coach basketball teams with 10-year-olds, and I have a lot of fun watching them and teaching them. And sometimes you'll get a 10-year-old, and he wants to play by himself. And it just does not work that well. He'll run around in circles. He'll drop the ball off his foot, different things, and not pass it to the teammates. It just doesn't work that well. A musician cannot play all the instruments at the same time in the orchestra. It's just humanly, physically impossible and even make any sort of good music. A man at church cannot do everything that needs to be done within that local assembly. It takes others and everyone doing their part in that local church as well. So we're not hermits, we're helpers. We're not isolationists, but initiators. We're not to be selfish, but selfless. And so we'll call this message Islands of Self, How to Be a Godly Man. And I would encourage and challenge you today to not live life alone. Don't live life alone. We're going to look in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. I'll read through these verses and we'll come back and, and look at some points as we go through but uh, notice here in the scripture, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued and not given too much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, that means tested. Then let them use, not just fill an office or hold a position, but actually do something in that office, use the office of a deacon, being found blameless, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For they that have used the office of the deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, and without controversy. This is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest. He was revealed in the flesh, justified in his spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. The summation of the life and times, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ in that verse. Powerful verse there. But we're talking this evening about these men who are servants. That's what the word deacon means. It's the word diakonos. It means a servant, a minister. And here it's identifying a particular role or a position, an opportunity to serve within the church but just because a man does not have the title deacon doesn't mean he cannot serve. In fact, all of us are called to be servants, and sometimes you hear people talk about servant leaders. We're all to be servant leaders. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. He's a young preacher. 
on one of the missionary journeys, Paul had come through, and uh, Lois and Eunice, his mother and grandmother, Timothy's mother and grandmother, they believed the gospel, and young Timothy received Christ as well. And he grew. He adopted their faith, and he, he must have heard what Paul was teaching, and he developed, and Paul came back through another time, and he saw him to be a young man, strong in the faith, and he nurtures him some more and mentors him. Uh, you maybe heard us before, but every man needs a Paul, and every Paul needs a Timothy. Every one of us has someone we could be mentoring, and all of us should have someone that is mentoring us. And so this is their relationship. Paul's a traveling missionary, church planter, and a letter writer of many of the letters of the New Testament. But we notice this idea, these men are not islands to themselves. Men are not to be islands to themselves. Do not live life alone. Now, in our church, our ministry model is our progression of discipleship. This is something that we've worked on for several years, and uh, really the last three years have adopted this. So worship God, walk with others, and win people to Christ. All we ask of our church are those three things. Let's worship God on Sundays. Let's walk with God, and that takes place with our discipleship. That's our small groups that we have. Maybe you have a Sunday school. It's the same idea with that small group where you have mutual accountability and encouragement. And then win people to Jesus. And that idea is find a way to serve. A lot of churches will have one or two or three or four people that do just about everything. But what we ask our church is, is find one thing and do that one thing well. Now, we still have people that are capable in other areas, but we ask every church member, everyone, just find one thing and one way to serve and do that to the best of your ability. Now, that's been transformational for our church. It's been very encouraging as well because we're not living life alone. That's our progression of discipleship. That's our slogan, if you would. That's our motto as a church. As we read these verses... We find that last, or both of them actually, of walking with others and then winning people or serving. We find both of those in the example of the deacons. So don't live life alone. Notice all these different people, as we have read through here, all these different people affected by an individual man. Notice this, if you would. Uh, in verse 11, there's the wife. So a husband is influencing his wife. We're talking about leadership and service and influence as a servant of God. So a wife is influenced. Sons and daughters, in verse 12, children are mentioned. If God blesses you with children, if you're called to marriage, and if God gives you children, then you have children, and you're influencing them as well. There's a church in verse 15. Here's how to behave in the church of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so he tells them that. There's all those relationships that are affected. It's implied also in the next verse, verse 16, that those outside the church also are influenced by the servant of God. Uh, without controversy, verse 16, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and that has to do with the nations of the world, not just the people inside the church other people. So there are others outside the church, others that may not yet know Christ. And then, of course, verse 16 is all talking about Jesus. He is also affected, and your relationship is also affected. Paul needed Timothy. Timothy needed Paul. Every Christian man should have a mentor and be a mentor to someone. 
I like how someone wrote that God chooses nobodies. You ever feel like a nobody? Sometimes maybe we feel like nobodies. God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of, or reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made it possible, the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. I'm insufficient, but God is all sufficient. Now, gentlemen, wherever you're at in your walk with Christ, if you're a Christian, maybe there's some without that have not yet trusted Christ. Today we implore you, let's talk about salvation and, and someone can show you from a Bible how to have your sins forgiven and know your soul is eternally secure. You can know that tonight. But for many of us as Christians, we know that our lives affect many people. As a man, as a husband, if you're called to marriage, a father, a student, a teammate, a co-worker, a business owner, What's your occupation? The people that you work with or are around. A Christian business person can attract people to Christ by serving need, not greed. Serve a need, not greed in our workplaces. That can make a lot of difference in demonstrating Christ to other people. I ask you, where are men in the church? Where are the men that live up to these qualifications. Now, for some of us, it's the first time you've ever read 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm really blessed that we got to read it together. Some of you read it before. Maybe you didn't think about what these terms mean here. But this is something that God has called us to. It's an expectation for the deacons. And what would happen, what would happen if you were living up to these expectations or fulfilling this, this uh, role of I have the servant's heart. What if God would call you then to actually be a deacon in your church? Well, that'd be a pretty amazing thing. But what if I read these verses and said, well, I'm not really sure about that, or I don't care, I'm just too busy to serve, then maybe you wouldn't be ready if God called you to that role. A lot of churches, I would suggest, I don't have any stats on this, but I would imagine just about... Every church could use another man as a deacon. It doesn't matter what size it is. There's always something to do. The other pastors here would be like, yeah, there's always something to do. <laughs> there's always something happening. Well, where are the men living up to these qualifications? Where are the men serving the Lord with faithfulness, devotion, and commitment? God may or may not call you to the role of an official titled position of deacon. But all of us, all of us can be servants and be ready if God would call us to that. Here's a picture of this boat in the city of Long Beach, California. This ship looks upon the Queen Mary. Uh, it's, it's docked at the uh, ocean front there as a floating white elephant, if you would say it that way. Since 1967, the city bought this ship for $63 million dollars. And they spent uh, $63 million in, with the buying of it and then working on converting it into a tourist spot. And they put up little shops and things. There's a museum and restaurants and a hotel. And, and their goal is to get people to come and look at this ship. But it doesn't sail anymore. It's starting to take on water. 
it's, it's just a rusting piece of metal that not too many people really care to come and look at. You know, as a church, if we don't fulfill our role, this thing was meant to float, and it can't float anymore. If we're not fulfilling our role, what good are we? As men, we are to be men who are godly men. God has called you to be a man who loves the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might. And that's our purpose. That's our obligation. That's our calling. We don't want to be like a ship being held up with piers and, and poles under the water just to have people look at it. We want to be more real and legit. So how can I be a godly man? I'll try to answer that question in the next few moments. In verses 8 through 10, we find the deacon must be grave, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith and a pure conscience. Let these first be proved, that's tested, tried, and uh, like a time experience is implied with that. Then let them use the office of deacon being found blameless. Blameless doesn't mean sinless. It means you throw something at it and it doesn't hardly stick it because... They are blameless. Faith in Christ makes this difference. Our love of Christ. Do you love Jesus in your spirit? That's verses 8 through 10. Do you love Jesus in your spirit? That's how you can be a godly man. This would be our response to God. Here's my response to God. I'm going to love the Lord, Jesus Christ, with my heart, soul, and my spirit. Love God, according to these verses, not lies, not empty talk. Love God, not alcohol not substances or things that would inebriate or control us. Love God instead. Love God. Don't love filthy lucre. Don't love money. All of us are tested in these areas, and it could be a temptation from Satan. It could be something that's being proved in our life that I love God more than these things. So that's our response to God. Love Jesus in your spirit. How can I be a godly man? Lead others to the Savior. Notice the influence here in verse 11. Even so must the wives be grave, not slander or sober or faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their own children. So now the kids are involved, their own house as well. For they that have used the office of deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness, which is in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lead others to the Savior. This is our response to others. Our response to family. So make it more immediate in your life. Help your wife be faithful to God. Help your wife be a better person. Help your wife become more beautiful, not just in a physical way, but in her countenance by you making your, her life easier and easier for her to want to pursue after God. If you're married, that's part of our role. You can read other, other letters in the New Testament about this. Men, you affect that. If you're called to marriage and you're married, you affect that. Now, I don't do that perfectly. Hey, I break things. I mess up stuff. I mean, I'm not the perfect uh, man when it comes to relationships either. Last week, just a few days ago, there was a nun in France. A nun in France. And uh, she died at 118 years of age. Can you imagine? That's almost the lifespan of Moses, 120 years. 118 years. Somebody commented that uh, she lived so long because she never had to live with a man. <laughs> uh, I like that. Here's a question. Is being married to you making your wife a better Christian? 
I'm not the perfect example of that. I'm just asking you and challenging myself. If you're married, is, is your walk with God, your relationship with your wife, making her a better Christian? Years ago in the Midwest, a farmer and his wife were lying in the bed. Uh, during a storm, a, a, a funnel cloud came over and a tornado suddenly lifted the roof right off the house and sucked their bed right out of it, them both still in it. The wife started crying hysterically and the husband said, this is no time to cry. And she said, no, no, it's not because of the storm or because we're up in the air. She said, this is the first time in 20 years we've been out of the house together. <laughs> yeah, some of you are getting that. Uh, we need to uh, spend time with our wives, do stuff, invest in that relationship with your wife. Go on a date, make time for each other. I like how one person said, this is rather clever but true, let the wife make her husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. That's a real challenge for us. And how about your kids then? Help your kids to know Jesus. Help your kids to know what a good father is. And when you mess up, and I'm as guilty as anyone else, it's good to offer a humble apology. When it comes to any relationship, kids especially, a spirit of humility really goes a long way. You can mess up a lot, not on purpose, but you mess it up and you're messing up and, and just not doing well. But if you have a spirit of humility, hey, I shouldn't have disciplined you that way, or I was angry and I shouldn't have been angry, and I'm really apologized for this, and would you please forgive me? Those are great words. Sometimes we don't give the best impression or imitation of Christ, or of our Father in heaven. And when we preach our Father in heaven, sometimes, and a lot of kids in our society say, I don't want anything to do with a father, let alone a father that I can't see in heaven. Sometimes it's us that they see that's that first door to let them see who the Lord really is. So our response to God, love Jesus in your spirit, response to others, lead others to the Savior, then look for ways to serve. This would be our response to the church in verses 14 and 15. He's saying, I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. Paul's always traveling around, and he wanted to come and see Timothy. And I want to come and see you once again and see how church ministry and work is going. But if I tarry long, here I want you to know, here's how to behave in a church of God. And he gives them the description that the church is the living, the church of the living God, and the church is the pillar in the ground of the truth. So what's your response to the church? The church is a pillar of truth. What people see, like on an edifice, the pillars on the outside, there's, there's some pillars out here. That's on the outside. People see that. People see Christians. They see the church. That's the outside. And what people don't normally see would be the ground or the foundation, but the church is the pillar, what people see, and also the ground or the foundation of truth. Jesus is truth. Thy word is truth. So this is our response to the church. Now the church is comprised of imperfect but determined people. There are pastors and deacons and participants and, and supporters, people who use their time, their talent, their treasure. Uh, to serve the Lord. There are spiritual gifts. I hope that you've identified your spiritual gift and uh, know what strengths God has given to you in your service, and then find ways to serve. You see, we're not islands 
of self. Let me encourage you with this. Get off the screen. Get off the screen and get involved with your family. Stop sitting in isolation. I know it's a hard day at work and long hours and all that. Just stop sitting in isolation and go talk to somebody. Work hard, but don't live for your work. Clock out, go home, invest in home and family. Go to work, but make sure you come home. And isn't it hard to twist and turn off your mind? My mind's like that. I'm always thinking of the next thing. You know, it's hard to turn it off. Turn it off. Put the hat on the rack whenever you come home. Whatever you have to do to make that happen, there's homework to do as well. Avoid making excuses and get some initiative at home and also with your family and with your church. Every church represented here could use your help in something. And just find ways to get involved and to serve, whether it's in a position or title as a deacon or not. Why should I care about being a godly man? It's a good question. Why should I even care? If you love Jesus, then you want to care. Then we should care. We love him because he first loved us. Hudson Taylor was a missionary, well-known missionary of years gone by. He founded the China Inland Mission. He often would interview candidates for the mission field, and on one occasion, he met a group of men, these applicants. They were motivated to serve. He asked them, what's your motivation for service? Why do you want to travel halfway across the world and come to China to help out on a mission trip? Why do you want to go as a foreign missionary? Well, I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was the first reply. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. Others gave different answers. They're all good answers. Those were good answers. But this missionary, Hudson Taylor, said all these motives are good, but those motives will fail in times of difficulty. When things get tough, when trials come, and they will come, it's only the love of Christ. That's what constrains us. That's what compels us. That's what motivates us. We love him because he first loved us. Now, not every man will have these quali qualities. Not every man will have these qualities. Maybe you would say, well, I'm not, I'm not qualified now to be a, an official deacon. But everyone, every one of us can find a way to serve. Diakonos, servant, minister. I don't have a role. No one gave me a title. That doesn't matter. Find a way to serve. This is the ideal that God wants us to live up to. Live up to these expectations. And if God calls you to be a deacon, then you could do it. You'll fill a role, but not just fill a position or a title. You actually do something in service to the Lord within that role. I heard one evangelist say years ago that, all of us, Christian men, all of us should either be a pastor or be helping a pastor get out the gospel. Amen. Every one of us has something to do in serving the Lord. Now, why does it matter how we respond? Doesn't matter, yes. God desires our love to be demonstrated. So I encourage you what we've already heard. Pray. We will pray. Read the Bible. Be at your church. This isn't church tonight. Go to your church on Sunday and just do the best you can to make it the best church possible. Uh, Bible devotion, church commitment, all these things uh, God desires for us in our life. And it, and it shows something. You know, our, whenever you pray, it demonstrates a reliance on God. Amen. I can't do this. That's right. 
but God can. I'm relying on him. And, and God appreciates that. He loves that when we depend on him. Now, others are depending on you. If you have a family, some of you are married, some of you are dating, some of you have kids, some of you are interested in somebody, maybe you're called to marriage. I mean, there's somebody that you're going to influence, whether it's a potential spouse or your spouse or other friends and people that you work with, friends at school, a lot of young guys here. You have some influence there, and they need you. All the people that you come into contact from day to day depend on you, and sometimes they'll never express that, they'll never express it. They may not even know it to articulate it, but in some way, they're depending on you to show up and have a, a gentle disposition or to be able to give an answer of the faith that lies within you. Now, all of us want to feel included. You want to feel included. But whether you are included or not is really up to you because you're needed. People need you. Whether you're included or not is up to you. The same is true for me. The church then needs you. We have something several times a year at our church. We call it the Wilton class. It's an introduction to church life. We have one coming up real soon. We have a lot of people that we're reaching out to to, to uh, introduce them to how to serve and uh, be a part of the church. And something that in each of those sessions we go over is this. This is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It'll be friendly if I am. It'll do a great work if I work. It'll make generous gifts to many causes if I'm generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It'll be a church of loyalty and love, faith and service if I who make it what it is am filled with these. Uh, therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. I love that statement. We use, we use that over and over again with new potential new members at our church. But not only do all these people depend on you, God is calling you. Jesus is calling you. We're not islands to ourselves. Jesus is calling you. When you are the neediest, he's the most sufficient. When you are completely helpless, he is the most helpful. When you feel totally dependent, he is absolutely dependable. When you are the weakest, he is the most able. When you are most alone, he is intimately present. When you feel the least, he's the greatest. When you feel the most useless, he's preparing you. When it's the darkest, he's the only light to light the way for you. When you feel the least secure, he's your rock and fortress. When you are most humble, he is most gracious. And when you can't, he can. God can in and through your life. So let's be men who are not islands of self. Don't live life alone. Let's take just a moment and Pastor Dan's going to come. We'll go ahead and, and pray. Then he'll transition into the next thing. But think about being an island of self. It's easy to try to live life alone or figure it out on your own. Let's live in community with others are walking with God. Father, we thank you for this challenge, and we pray, and I pray for each of these men to take these truths and make a difference and see a difference in their heart, their relationship, their influence, and their service in the next few days and in their life. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. song we close with um, let's let that be our prayer we'll transition from that spirit of the living god yeah. fall fresh on me we'll sing it together we'll sing with our voices and we're going to i need thee every hour okay
Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, and use me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. He that begun a good work in us will perform it to the day of Jesus. God, he'll enable us to Amen. do what we heard in this first session. Amen? He's our enabling power. So cry out to the Lord. Lord, I need you to be all that you called me to be. Sing it out together. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. Oh, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, I say. What a great message. And men, we need, look, we need this more than we need the TV show or whatever you got going on. And, uh, you know, I like walking into restaurants, and I walk into restaurants sometimes uh, just to, to see. I like seeing people. And I'll walk in, and I'm always humored by a family who will be sitting there eating. But, you know, they're not looking at each other, and they're not talking. Their, their faces are immersed. And uh, if I ever invite I've occasionally I've invited a few folks to dinner, and they're sitting there the whole time. And I'm like, you know what? I don't feel like paying for it as much at the end of the meal, right? Because I didn't get to fellowship with them. You know, God wants to fellowship with us right now. And uh, you can't get a cell phone call into heaven, <laughs> okay? Thank God there's no phones tracking you in heaven, amen? In heaven, we get to meet with God and get to fellowship with him. And right now, we get a little touch from the word of God and some help. And uh, Pastor Newcomb has served in this community for many years as well, and Brother Harness, and they've both pastored. Now he's pastoring the family pa as the family pastor down at Wilton Baptist, and uh, I've asked him to come preach at this time. Would you come on, Brother Newcomb, and preach the word? We appreciate you, appreciate your spirit. He's filled in for us several times here at the church, and uh, thank God for you and your life, brother. Preach what God's put on your heart, and uh, whenever you turn it on, it's on, okay? And it's green. Well, good evening. Well, you heard Pastor Dan there. If we go to a restaurant, as long as you don't bring your phone out, he is paying. Oh, if you invite us. Okay. Oh, man, I tell you. Oh. Well, 
this is exciting. I, this, this, is, this is exciting. I heard somebody earlier today said, welcome to our first annual men's meeting. So Amen. that's good uh, to start and then to also look forward to the next year as well. I appreciate Pastor Steve and the message that he brought and just uh, the, the challenge that we have as far as what God expects of us. And, and we need to rise to that particular challenge. And throughout this meeting, and, uh, and I, I don't say this in a negative way at all, you're really not going to hear anything all that difficult. Because God doesn't call us to a life where we look at it and go, oh man, that's just too hard, I can't do that. Read your Bible. <laughs> it's not all that difficult. You know, now our flesh will argue with us and you know, things like that. Pray. You know, a lot of us, we're pretty good at talking, you know. And uh, so a lot of these particular things we just need to, the difficult part is to be consistent and to be sincere and to be real. And uh, I, I am excited uh, for this particular meeting. I, I was thinking about the message and, and um, going over it today and talking with my wife about it and and I walk in, and, and uh, my, my son came out with me, and then we're, we're just sitting right there, and then where did he go? And, oh, he's back there now. All right. And uh, we're sitting right there, and all of a sudden I just realized this is the first men's meeting I've ever been with my son. Amen. I was like, yeah, that's awesome right there, so I'm ready to go home. No, that was, that was incredible. And uh, all of a sudden, now the pressure's on. Now my son's here at a men's meeting. And uh, he wrote down in, in his notes, uh, Pastor Harness. And then he wrote, Dad. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's awesome. That is, that is pretty neat. So uh, I'm excited about that. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. And the title of this message is Make a Difference. And uh, we, are, we, we are called to make a difference. We just saw that with the first message. Uh, we're not to be on an island. We're not to be on an island. I've heard people say something to this effect. Um, They'll live a particular life, they'll make a particular decision, and we'll say something like, well, how, how is that decision right with God? And they'll say this, they'll say, well, that's between God and myself. And that's just not scriptural. It's not biblical. It can't be between God and yourself if you're going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It simply can't be between you and God. Now I understand that you have a personal relationship with God, but it is a relationship that people need to see. And we need to be able to make a difference in people's lives. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land, and into the land of Canaan they came. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray your word will speak. I pray that your word will make a difference in, in my life. Your word will make a difference in each and every person here tonight, Lord. And we know that if it can make a difference in us this evening, then Lord, we will have the opportunity to make a difference, you know, at home tonight, in our community tomorrow, at our church on Sunday. So Lord, we just pray for your will and your way to be in each and every one of our 
in our minds and hearts and help us to accept it. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Singing about this particular meeting, I, I, and uh, I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to preach about? It's men's meeting. I want to preach about dads. I want to preach about men, strong men, godly men. And I, I was really leaning toward David and Jesse. I was, I was thinking about that, praying about that, had a whole message written out, and then, uh, then I was reading Abraham. And I was like, if there's ever a person who ever made a difference in this world, that would be Abraham. And we, we still sing a song today, Father Abraham. You know, I don't know how theological it is, but we still sing that, we still sing that particular song. Abraham lived 45, 5,000 years ago. That is a long time ago. And we see that Abraham made a difference not only in his, not only in, in his family, but he made a difference in the society around him. And he made a difference, obviously, with the Jewish nation. And he made a difference when it came to the New Testament as well. If you look at, if you study scripture, a lot of times you'll say something to the effect of the God of our fathers and Abraham. Or the God of, you know, the God of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. And you even see that in Acts chapter Three, when, when Peter is talking, he talks about Abraham because Abraham has made a difference. Now here at this meeting, this is called the Renewal Summit. There is a purpose to this meeting. We, we, we want to be renewed. And that word renew, it means to reestablish. It means to confirm. There are times in our life, in our Christian walk, where we just need to have that confirmation of God's will and God's purpose in our life. I love it where the Bible says that His Spirit beareth witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Every once in a while, I just need that reestablishment, that confirmation that I am His child. The word also means to make again, to renew a treaty or a covenant. Now, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're saved. And you'll be saved for eternity. You can't lose your salvation. So you don't need to renew your salvation. But you've heard of married couples that have renewed their vows. And just renewed their commitment. My wife and I were going to be married 30 years this year. I am so looking forward to it. We are going on, a, we're, we're going on an anniversary trip. The other day I, I said honeymoon by accident. And she goes, aww. And I'm like, it was, it was accident. And she goes, aww, anyway. And... Uh, Really looking forward to it. But you've heard of people renew their, their vows. And it isn't because the old vows passed away or they forgot them. It's just because they just wanted to renew, reestablish the love. I mean, it's been worth it being with you for 30 years. And I can't wait to spend the next 30 years with you as well. The word also means to repeat, to renew a promise. In 1989, I came to know Christ as my Savior. I have seen that repeated through God's grace and God's love in each and every one of my children. Six children, all, all of them know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I now have grandchildren, more grandchildren on the way, and I can't wait till the first one comes to know Christ as their Savior. I want to see that repeated. We want to revive, you know, the former age, if you will. We see the great awakening take place once again. Sometimes the word renew just means we need to begin again. Boy, the devil loves to point out our failures. You know, Pastor came up here earlier and he was talking about how, you know, he's not, we're, none of us are perfect. You know, I'm not the perfect man in a marriage. I'm not the perfect dad. I'm not the perfect pastor. I'm just not the perfect Christian. And we will beat ourselves up with that at times, but the devil loves to beat us up with that. 
How many times have we we've been pointed out, well, you said you were going to read your Bible, but you haven't been reading your Bible. You said you were going to pray, but you haven't been praying. You said you're going to talk to other people about Jesus, but you haven't been talking to other people about Jesus. And then the, the guilt and the failure starts to overwhelm you. And we're like, we're never going to be able to dig ourselves out of the hole. God doesn't want you to dig yourself out of a hole. He'll lift you out of the, the pit. You just got to begin again. Just begin again. And, and so the word renew means to begin again, to make new, to transform, to regenerate. We want to be more like Christ. So somewhere in this list of definitions of renewal, God is going to make a difference in our minds and our hearts at this meeting. And I believe that to be true because God laid this meeting on Pastor Shedd's heart. And, and, and so therefore we're meeting and, and we have good godly men here preaching the word of God. And God's word doesn't return void. So a difference is going to be made. But a difference doesn't just need to be made here. It needs to be made in our home. A difference doesn't just need to be made in our home. It needs to be made in our churches. A difference doesn't just need to be made in our churches, but it also needs to be made in our communities. Our society desperately needs something different. Desperately needs something different. It, and we have an opportunity to make a difference. We have an opportunity to see change. We have an opportunity to, to see people come to know Christ as their Savior. Now, I know the Bible a lot like you know the Bible. And the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. This, this week I was thinking about that verse, and all of a sudden I just realized that two, those two words there, shall come shall come. And I'm going, wow, we've, we've had, a, we've had, a, we've had a, a world of World War I, World War II. We've had Hitler. We've had Stalin. We've had Mussolini. We've had the Chinese government and, and, and cracking down on Christians. We've had um, the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire. We've had the great persecutions under the Roman emperors. We've seen a lot of wickedness and a lot of evil in this world, but yet God says, shall come. We look at the world today, and we know that it's going to get worse. And I don't know how bad it's going to get. All I know is in 1989, when I came to know Christ as my Savior, I was at Liberty University, and I still remember, I still remember a preacher getting up that day, and, and one of those particular days in, in our chapel meetings, and he was saying, we're not going to see the year 2000. That's just how bad this world is getting. I'm going, wow. I don't know if he's alive today. But it is 2023, right? 2023. And I'm, I'm thinking, I, we're not going to see 2024. Do you see how bad it's going to get? I don't know how bad it's going to get. But I do know it doesn't surprise God because he's the one who told us this is how bad it's going to get. We live in a world where, in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it also says in verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Deceived and being deceived, they're deceiving themselves. Not only are they deceiving others, they're deceiving themselves. You know what we should say to that? So? <laughs> what? It's getting worse and worse. And you say, so? Well, look at Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse 4. God told Abraham to come out of that land and to go into the land of Canaan. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, it says, so Abram departed. The world back in Abraham's day wasn't in, you know, it was pretty bad as well. Anytime mankind has had an opportunity to revolt from God, they, they have taken that opportunity. I mean, right after the flood, they build the tower. God disperses them. 
Abraham is right there. You know, we see in Genesis chapter 12, do you think he's living in a land of just perfect people? Absolutely not. People turn their back on God extremely quickly. So he had sinners in his society as well. He's seen a world that was uh, going in in a very wicked way as well. And God gives him instruction. God tells him, this is what I want you to do. So Abram departed. I say that because if you were to post John 3.16 on any of your social media type things, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever it may be, you might get a lot of hate mail back. You might get a lot of hate messages back. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of lie. They'll, they'll lie against you. They'll sit there and you know, call you a bigot and things like that. They'll sit there and tell you how you hate people when actually you love people. You could go to work and you could, tell, you could, start, you could start talking to people about John 3.16, maybe on your break or maybe before work or maybe after work. And the more people you tell about John 3.16 and read God's word to them, you're probably going to get a lot of violent reaction to it, a lot of hate-filled reaction to it, a lot of, I don't want to hear that type of thing. That's the kind of world that we live in today. We could talk to your schoolmates, whether at class, you could talk to your schoolmates and talk to them about John 3.16. And maybe they're younger, maybe they'll give you a little bit better reception, maybe they won't. We could talk to our family about John 3.16. We could talk to our extended family about John 3.16. We can talk to a lot of people about John 3.16. And most of the response will be negative and hate-filled and violent. But it doesn't change the truth of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Because the more that you share John 3.16 with somebody, it will make a difference in somebody's life. Don't let the overwhelming evilness of the world rob you of God's power in your life making a difference. Don't let that that happen. Don't so look forward to the rapture that you just want to go by yourself and not bring somebody else with you. Understand that we are living in a time where we're not to be on an island, but we are living in a time where we are to make a difference. And this is a desperate time. And men, we have our own homes, and I get that. And we have our own churches, and I get that. But there is so much more to do in our communities or society than I think we absolutely realize. This week, I was just doing some of the statistics, last couple of weeks. There are 19 million children in America without a dad. 19 million children in America without a dad. One in four. One in four. We could be a dad to someone. We could be a man of God to someone. We can make a difference in somebody's life because somebody needs it. Maybe you don't have children on your own, but there is somebody that you could have an influence in. And if you look at the statistics, you go to some of the, I can share a couple of the websites. So you look at the statistics, the statistics are staggering of what will most likely happen to a child without a father figure in their life. It's staggering. Just for girls alone, seven times more likely to be pregnant out of wedlock. Twice as likely to do drugs. 279% more likely to carry an illegal gun and sell drugs. I mean, just things like that. We have an opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life. And we need to take that opportunity. God has called us as men to be a godly man, to make a godly difference in somebody's life. And so we look at Abraham. I don't want to say he started it all. But he is Father Abraham of the Jewish nation. And he has made a huge difference in a lot of people's lives. So how did he do it? 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show thee. Well, it didn't start with Abraham. It starts with God. God wants to make a difference. You have to believe that. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. The reason why God hasn't come back yet is because people still need to be saved. People still are getting saved. As much as I am looking forward to spending my eternity with Jesus Christ, there's a reason why He hasn't brought me there yet. Because I have an opportunity through God's grace, through God's love, through God's purpose to be able to make a difference in somebody's life. But will I rise up and do what God would have me to do? Will I be able to help here in the United States of America, not only with my own children, but other, other children as well? They desperately need to see somebody, a godly influence in their life. So in Genesis chapter 12, it starts with God. And we see in verse 4, So Abram departed as the Lord has spoken unto him. So Abram departed as the Lord has spoken unto him. How do we make a difference? We believe God. Right. We just believe God. And sometimes that's so hard. We believe God. It says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken with him. Abraham didn't just leave. Abraham left with expectation. Abraham didn't just leave, say, well, God wants me to get up and go. Abraham left because God had a will for his life and had an expectation that God was going to bring him somewhere and God was going to show him something and God was going to make a great nation out of him and his family. God... There was an expectation. I mean, why else would a man who's 75 years old has developed a nice little empire, if you will. He's got family. He's got friends. He's got cattle. He's got goods. He's got all kinds of different types of things. And God says, well, I want you to leave all of that. And then I want you to go over here. And I'm going to start something over here. Now, why would he do that? It was a simple reason. He believed God. God says, this is what I want you to do. This is what's going to happen. This is who you're going to be. This is what we're going to have as far as a relationship. And he believed God. Let me read to you in Galatians chapter 3 when it comes to Abraham and his belief. It says, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham was a man when he looked at God and God's promises, he believed him. He believed him. Look, we need to believe God. And, and believe that what God has for us is a better life with God than a better life without God. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm going to, I'm going to speak to the preachers here just a little bit. Okay? And all you men, you can just be here as well. Man, there is nothing more discouraging than a discouraged pastor. There just simply isn't. Now, I know as pastors, we need to go and we need to encourage each other. And there are going to be times when I'm down. I need Pastor Steve to lift me up. And when I'm really down, I go to Pastor Darren. Okay, yeah, because he just makes me laugh. <laughs> anyway, no, he's been my friend since I've been here, and I appreciate him so much. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to give him a valve. He's going to have to get that from a pig or something like that. All right, <laughs> you know, there's only so far I can go. But, man, and, and so I'm not talking about how we just don't get discouraged and we don't feel like it's ministry. And ministry is people. And when you deal with people, you know, you deal with people, and people have to deal with you. But man, I, yeah, I just, sometimes I, I, I hear, not just pastors, I hear people, and, and they, they talk about, they talk about everything they've given up for the Lord. Oh, I give up my time, and I give up my family, and I give up my, and I give up my, my career, and I gave this up, and I gave that up, and I'm serving God faithfully. I don't believe Abraham walked out of the land of Ur going, I'm giving up so much. I believe he walked out going, I am going to gain the world. 
There's a better life that God has for me than the one that I have now. We will make a difference if we believe that. We'll make a difference if we believe that. We cannot look at the things of this world and get so enraptured by it and so infatuated with it and believe that this is the answer. Come on. The world knows the world isn't the answer. That's why they're so confused. I mean, honestly, they can't figure it out. We need to live a life like our world, our life in God, is much better. I want you to think about, I want you to think about this. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he said he suffered the loss of all things. Suffer the loss of all things and do count them as dung. He looked at everything that he once had, power, prestige, reputa- reputation. I mean, you know, he, he had it. And he looked at it, and Paul wasn't just, I don't think he was just figuratively speaking, hey, let me just give it, you a picture here. No, he really looked at his past life, and he said, man, that's just all a bunch of poop. You know how God, you're working on something, you're praying about something, you're reading his word, and then God brings something in your life that nails it, brings it home. Last week, I'm reaching in my closet behind something so I can't see. I have a cat. And my cat, every once in a while, decides that the litter box is not what he wants to go. I reach behind in there, and it was soft and squishy. I mean, it was, uh, Matthew, were you there? Uh, it, was, it was gross, man. I, I, I brought out my hand, and I'm going, I just stuck my hand in poop. And it was gross. It was disgusting. I went to the sink, and I washed my hand. And then I washed it again. And then I was going to get a snack, and so I washed it again. It smells. It's gross. It's disgusting. It smears. You go show your wife. She doesn't want to see it. There's nothing good about it at all. Farmers, I don't care if it's fertilizer. It's still gross. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying my life without Christ is gross. But the life I have in Christ is awesome. Abraham believed that. That's why, that's why he left. He believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. He believed that there was something better. He believed that life in Christ is better. We can make a difference when we live like that. When we live a joyful life because we have a joyful life in Christ. When we live a, a peaceful life because we have peace in Christ. When we live a strong life because we have the strength of Christ. Let's live like we believe what we say that we believe, and it will make a difference. Not only did Abraham believe God, but look at Genesis chapter 12. And he says in verse 2, at the end of verse 1, a land that I will show thee. Verse 2, and I will make of thee a great nation. Verse 2, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse 3, and I will bless them that bless thee. And then if you go down to verse 7, right in the middle of it, he says, Unto thy land will I give this land. Do you see the personal involvement of God in this whole process? God says, you go here, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then when he went into the land, it said, God appeared 
unto him. Don't just believe God, but let's make sure we live a life where we, that we be with God. You, you want to have a, you want to make a difference in your life? You want to see a difference in your life? You want to make a difference in somebody else's life? Then so let's make sure we live a life, have a ministry, have a home life where we are always seeking out and making sure God is there. Let me just put it to you like this. I know that this can only go so far, okay? I get that. But you can be in God's will and not be with God. Think about it just for a little bit, and it won't last long. I told you I'm going to be married 30 years this year. It's God's will for me to be married to my wife. I can be in his will with the marriage and then not ask for his help at all. It's going to be frustrating. It isn't going to be what it could be. I could be a pastor in his will because I know that's what he's called me to be. But if I don't seek out God's face while being a pastor, it's going to be a frustrating experience. I think a lot of Christians live a frustrated life because they take that first step. This is what God wants me to do. We've got to keep taking the step of making sure that God is personally involved in everything that is taking place. You want to be that man of God? You want to be that, that husband of God? Then you've got to make sure that you have a lot of conversations with God. You need to make sure that he's the one showing you what needs to be done. He's the one making what needs to be done. He's the one that's giving personally involved in your life each and every single day. Man, don't just be in God's will. Make sure you're serving God. Make sure you're living out God's will with God. Does it make sense? I, I, I just want you to understand what I, the, the point I was trying to make there. I, could, you know, I have my kids at home, and they can, they can do their chores. They can, uh, they can do their homework. They can talk respectfully to their parents, talk, you know, honor thy father and mother. They can all do these particular things that I would have them to do. But the average man spends 30 minutes a week face-to-face with his son. And the average son spends 44 hours on electronics. 44 hours. That's not a Bible site. That's a fatherhood site. It's a secular site that, comes, that has those statistics. My point is, I could... My kids could be doing my will and not be spending any time with me at all. Now, in that case, that's on the dad. But our dad, our father, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We're in the father's hand where nobody can pluck thee out of my father's hand. He's there, he's knocking, he's ready. Are we listening? Are we listening? We have a responsibility to make sure, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are spending time with God, just like He is, if you know, that He is making sure that He wants to spend time with us. How do we, how do, we do that? Here's a, couple of, here's a couple of ideas to help you spend time with God. One, make sure you're walking with Him. And it's not impossible. 
oh, it's, oh this world, it, it's so bad. Did you know the Bible says that Noah walked with God? Just how bad was the world then? But Noah made it a point to walk with God. I liked it when my kids were smaller and they would come up and grab my hand and they would want to go for a walk. I like that. I thought that was awesome. Matthew won't do that now. He's 12. That would be weird for both of us. Hey, Dad, let's go for a walk. <laughs> no. Now, my grandkids will come up to me and do that now. And sometimes there's an ulterior motive. They want to walk me to a snack. Or they want to walk me away from Mom, who's saying something that they don't like at the point. I get that. I understand that. But I'm still smiling. When I was working at Oakwood Christian School in Troy when I first, when I first moved here, um, I, I was sitting at the lunch table, and Pastor Jim uh, came up, and he said, Hey, Rob, let's go for a walk. This is like my first month of school. I'm teaching, and the boss wants to go for a walk. So I'm walking. He's just talking, small talk. I'm walking. Whoa. And I'm waiting for the serious conversation. This is what you need to do better. Or something along those lines. I'm waiting for the shoe to drop, I guess. Something like that. And it never happened. It was 10 minutes of nervousness. Why does Pastor Jim want to walk with me? And I think he knew I was nervous. I think he thought it was funny. <laughs> and later on, I'm talking... I was talking to some of the other teachers and said, oh, we noticed that you were walking with Pastor Jim. I was like, yeah, what's that all about? Oh, he does that with everybody. You guys could have told me that before? No, no, no. We like to watch people walk with him the first time. Great. <laughs> but the whole point of it was he just wanted to walk with you to get to know you, to have good conversation. That's all God wants from us sometimes. Just like my little grand daughter who just said, hey, granddad, let's go for a walk. Yeah. Every once in a while we say, hey, father, let's go for a walk. I just want to spend some time with you. I'm a dad and I really need some fatherly advice. Amen? We need to walk with him. We also need to work with him. You want to spend time, you want to spend some good quality time with God, work with God. That's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9, we are laborers together with God. How awesome is it that God allows us to be part of the work in the first place? We need to be excited about that. But not only excited about it, we have an opportunity to learn from the best. To learn from the best. Lord, I want to talk to somebody about Jesus. I can talk to Jesus. I want to be able to pray for somebody. I, uh, well, I can talk to God. He, he knows all about prayer. It's his plan. So many times we miss out on making a difference because we try to do it without God. Get back to doing things with the Lord. Make sure you're doing something with the Lord. And, it, and it, like I said, it's not just being a pastor or a deacon. Man, we need dads to be dads with God. Saying, Lord, help me to be what you have me to be. I, I need you right here with me. I don't know about you. I'm going to share this. Maybe this is a little weird, okay? But I'm, I'm a little weird, so I do things weirdly. Have, does anybody talk out loud to themselves? Okay, yeah, I, I do that. I'll do that. And my wife is used to it now, so 
We're all good. But there have been times in my life where I was talking with God, and it could have been at a store or in a car or in a house. And the conversation was so real, all of a sudden I started talking out loud. Do you think when Abraham prayed for God to save Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was talking to him, it was all in his inside voice? He was begging and he was pleading. Got God all the way down to 10 people to save the whole city. What a message in itself. But when God came and talked to him, Abraham made it a point to talk back and have a conversation with him, to be with him. We have a responsibility on our part. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. We're talking about prayer. But look at the effort that we're to put into prayer. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4, verse 8, Draw nigh to God and he'll draw near to you. We're talking about the one that we're never out of his hand. We're sealed with the Spirit. But the Bible still explicitly talks about being closer to God than just that relationship, so to speak, that we have. That's why he says in John chapter 15, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. There's a dual uh, abiding there. God will abide in us, but are we making sure that we abide in him? We don't just believe God. We need to be with God. And then look at Genesis chapter 12. We want to make an impact. Believe God. We want to make an impact. Be with God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 5, Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. I like that phrase there at the end. They went, they had a destination, and they, they got there. But right there in the middle, in the souls they had gotten in Haran. God didn't use the word people. He didn't use the word servants, slaves, race, culture. He he, he could have used all kinds of different types of words. He used souls. Abraham brought souls with him. That's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when man became a living soul. Proverbs 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. We want to make a difference? Then let's do our best to try to bring souls with us. We're looking at people as people. I get it. I understand. But we're kind of looking at it in a flesh way. An earthly way, if you will, instead of a living soul way. It makes all the difference. It it says, he that winneth souls is wise. That is a battle that we need to enter and fight it correctly. I'm going to tell you how I lost that battle this week, but it gives, once again, it gives a good example. Last week, I went to Walmart. If you want to talk about about, about battle of the flesh, go to Walmart, right? I have my groceries. I mean, you're already in a bad mood because it's 12 bucks a dozen for eggs. 
Okay, not quite that bad yet. But anyway, I, I spent at Walmart the other day, I spent like $170. And what, two years ago, it would have cost me $85. I'm just sitting there going, I had the smallest bag in the world, and I just spent all the money. Anyway, so nobody goes into Walmart with a good mood anymore. So I have my groceries. I'm about to go up to pay because we all look forward to paying. And I go up to one of those self-checkouts that has the conveyor belt where you have to do it yourself. That's fine. I don't mind doing things myself. And as I'm walking up, some lady just cuts across like three aisles across and jumps onto the one that I'm about to do. God bless her soul. I'm, I'm good. Honestly, I'm really good. It doesn't really bother me all that much. This time. And she's, she rings up her item, and she's now doing the card thing. I mean, I mean, just, it's not working. It's not working. Blankety, blank, blank, blank. It's not working. You know, just beep. I mean, I mean, just a constant beep should be coming out of her mouth. It's not working. And then she looks behind me, and she sees me. And she goes, I'm sorry. It's not working. It's not working. What is going on here? And she goes, I'm trying to buy this for my son. It's not a good product to buy for your son. Okay? And she's only buying it because he's a minor. He wasn't there. And she's not. That's the situation that's taking place. She's buying something that's not a good thing to buy for her son at all. And, and meanwhile, she's cussing and she's upset. I can't buy this. What's wrong with this machine? I, I tried that machine. It didn't work. I tried this machine. It's not working. I tried all these machines. And I, I just wanted to sit there and go, it's not the machine, lady. But I didn't say that. Man, I'm winning this battle so far. I'm winning this battle. Because, man. And then I was like, I should give her a track. I mean, she's just, she's mad. She's aggressive. She's cussing. I don't have a track. So I lost right there. But I have a business card. <laughs> I have a business card, you know, that has, you know, Rob Newcomb, family pastor on it, Wilton Baptist Church. And I'm sitting there going, I, so I thought about, hey, I could just give it to her. What will I say? I could say, hey, you need to call me and I'll make your life better or something like that. I have no idea. And, and so then I start, I'm like, well, I don't have a track. So I'm just not going to say anything. Besides, if I give her this card and I say something like, hey, you know what? I have something better for your son than what that is. She's just going to be mad and cussing and aggressive and all of that. So a representative came over, took her over somewhere else, and then that was it. And I was like, whew. Until I read, Abraham brought souls with him. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I looked at that whole episode, honestly, as how is her flesh going to react to me? I, just, I looked at her as a person with flesh, and as a result, I didn't want... I, I, didn't, I didn't want that hassle at that time. So I even looked at my flesh. And a battle for her soul didn't take place because I didn't enter into the battle. Honestly, a lot of times we lose the battles for the soul because we enter them trying to correct the flesh. Who cares about her flesh? Who cares how she's going to react? There's something bigger than that. 
And that's her soul. Right. He that winneth souls is wise. Right. He that winneth souls is wise. If I want to make a difference, Lord, help me to battle for their soul. Because that's what the whole win is talking about. I'm not going to race for their souls. I need to enter into a fight for their souls. He that wins souls is wise. I know that Jesus Christ is the one that saves souls, but I need to enter into the battle to at least share Christ with her in the first place. We have one in four children that don't have a father. Somebody not making a difference in their life. That's not just one in four children. That's one in four souls. Man, we got to make a difference. So what, where can I make a difference? It's not hard to find one in four children without a dad. We can do something about that. We need to make a difference with our own children. We need to make a difference with our own family. We need to make a difference in our church, in our community, in our society. Because we're talking about souls. Lord, I want to bring a soul. I want to bring a soul. Help me to bring a soul. Lord, I want to make a difference. I want to believe you. I want to believe you. The life that you have for me is incredible. The life without you is gross. I want to be with you. Lord, I want to be with you as I journey through this life as a husband, as a dad, as a granddad, as a pastor. I want to be with you, Lord. I need you. I need you to show me. I need you to give me. I need you to make me. Lord, help me bring a soul. Just help me bring a soul. If I look at people as souls, it'll make a difference on how I treat and talk to those people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this meeting that we have. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I just thank you so much for that. And personally, Lord, I thank you for the Goodo family. They were my bus drivers. It was impossible for them to have kids. But they had kids. They made a difference in my life. And I thank you for that. And Lord, they knew it wasn't just about children. They knew it was about souls. Lord, I, I pray that we have that same desire. And we just realize how, honestly, how simple it is. We just got to believe you, be with you, and just tell other people about you. Lord, we just love you. We thank you. And we just ask that you challenge each and every one of our hearts. Help us to be what you would have us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Pastor Shed.